Hello and welcome to uh, LOP Radio Aftershock, aka Wrestling Headlines. Pay-per-view review for WWE. The Tide Brits is here once again. Absolutely knackered at quarter past two in the morning to bring you your Hell in the Cell review. Just finished about ten minutes ago, so I've been rushing about getting everything ready for this immediate review. Immediate opinions. I've written down a bunch of notes throughout the show so I can at least help myself remember what on earth my feelings are. And jumping straight into it, first of all, you can follow me on Twitter at the damn Impacat. My name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp. They're my normal intro points, just, you know, not necessarily in the correct order. <laughs> so, uh, I do the Monday Night Raw reviews, and I also do Aftershock here on Raw Wrestling Headlines, uh, covering the pay-per-views as soon as they happen, be it AEW or WWE, or now and then New Japan. Uh, if you if you did watch the G1 Climax, the Kingdom of Honor boys covered that on Tuesday, so go listen to that. But Hell in the Cell has literally just finished, and we've got new champions all over the place. We've got three Hell in the Cell matches and it certainly was a unique show where five matches advertised, one booked on the show. My fear was more, so I'm perfectly fine with one. <laughs> Not going to complain too much. But Hell in a Cell 2020 was live from the Thunderdome. The big important question, did WWE break the streak of god-awful Hell in a Cell endings? It was three in a row going in. <laughs> 2019, possibly the worst with The Fiend, my ultimate breaking point. I'd only just taken over as Aftershock host. I was still about 10 months away <laughs> from going to video. And I ha- I'm so happy that I was just in audio form back then. So yeah, I had a bit of a breakdown last year. <laughs> After just taking this over, kind of shifting things back and realised the amount of investment it would be. And had a bit of a breakdown. This year, nah, none of that. I just thought the final match, I don't know, it didn't hit for me. And then with the ending, my immediate thought was, I just want this feud to be dead. I, I, I was done with it <laughs> going into this pay-per-view. This entire build, I'm like, I'm just ready for it to end, for both men to move on. And that's really the biggest thing for me. If both men move on, then, yeah, I'm cool with that. That's all right, but just don't, you know, <laughs> continue. For the love of God. Uh, but it was the main event, Hell in a Cell, for the WWE Championship. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. I'll start with that, then I'll go uh, to, I guess, go down the card in reverse the card in reverse order. Maybe doing the Hell in a Cell matches first, then talk about the other ones afterwards. So you can tune out if you want after talk about the Hell in a Cell matches, which is really why everybody tuned into this pay-per-view. It was an interesting choice for main event, purely because it was them picking the... Like, I'm not entirely sure saving their slowest Hell in a Cell match for last was the wisest idea. Yes, it had big moments in there, like Drew McIntyre falling off the cell, and he had the win in the end. But it was quite possibly the slowest of the Hell in a Cell matches. Personally, in terms of... Cause, uh, again, you got them climbing the cell in terms of the action amplifying. Technically, the spots were bigger. <laughs> Technically, because climbing on top of the cell falling off the side of the cell. Technically, that is your biggest spot that you can do inside that structure. And they to do that in your final match makes the most sense because you can't really go any higher than that. That said, the pace of the match was pretty slow in between those beats. And it, it, it's an odd one. 
it makes Randy Orton's win feel bigger as well. Because that's the part of it. Randy Orton defeated Drew McIntyre in the end after the big Scott fell off the side of the cell. Randy Orton was there to kind of stalking him about. Drew McIntyre had a bit of a fight back, nailed a claymore, but the RKO lad fell up to the outside. And then rolling him back in, then using all his last remaining energy just to call for a claymore, he then got countered into an RKO. And that was it, because falling off the steel structure on the side, that was too much for Drew McIntyre. Which meaning one RKO and he wasn't fighting back on that. So it's one of those where it makes sense that he lost. That yes, his finisher didn't end Randy Orton, but he rolled to the outside. So if he scored the three, would he have done it? Uh, but landing the RKO, yeah, that's that. That said, it's a win which worries me a bit. <laughs> because of what comes next. And you've given The Miz the briefcase, who's on Monday Night Raw. Interesting. Does he cash in on Orton? Hmm. Uh, does Drew McIntyre? Do we get Drew McIntyre Orton, Orton again? That's my biggest. That's my biggest fear because I was done with this feud after Clash of Champions. It was the perfect ending, and then it's continued, and it felt like ah, but we've got to go to Hell in the Cell. We've got to go to that extra beat. And if the plan was always for Randy Orton to beat Drew McIntyre in the end, for me that needed to happen at Clash of Champions because it was one month too much. I was done with the feud, and now Randy Orton's champion, and I'm done with the feud? <laughs> I don't know if that's like worst-case scenario for them, where they've given this idea to kind of give a one final boost and one final fifth match, <laughs> which, again, is my other WWE problem. They had their debut, their first match together for Mike was at SummerSlam. We're now, what, two months later, and I'm complaining about it being their fifth match that we're about to build to? Is there an issue there? <laughs> it's just in terms of... Maybe need to mix it up a bit. Just yeah, getting the same match over and over to that point. Uh, yeah, again, Clash of Champions for me that had been three, and I was perfectly fine with that. I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, nice little trilogy. Uh, then heading the south, thought was one step a bit further. And I just assumed Drew McIntyre would win, but now Randy Orton's won. I'm a little bit worried. What happens next? I'm all for. And nothing against a Randy Orton championship run at this point. I'm perfectly fine with that. They were touting him getting very close to Triple H's record. Again, no issues with, with that. It's uh, more of this specific feud. <laughs> Orton versus McIntyre. It's been great up until a point, And I immediate after Clash of Champions, that was such a perfect feud ender. I just zoned out. I haven't cared a dolt. A dolt? I don't know if that's a phrase. I haven't cared. I, go, I say jolt. I haven't cared a jolt. <laughs> it's not a saying. <laughs> I haven't cared at all. On Monday Night Wars, they've been doing their build as Randy Orton's been attacking the Legends as they've been doing that slow build to Hell in a Cell. I've just not cared. I've, I've been done with the feud. And this feels like one last kind of setup for another match. But again, I am done with the feud, so why would I care uh, about... I mean, it's, it's, again, it's a personal thing, because it has been good, and I can see why people would still be invested. It's just that they hit such a perfect ending. That's like, well, why would I care now? It feels like the feud continued because that's the schedule rather than that's the story they were telling, which, again, is an issue you get to when you're booking it week to week or specific, or month to month if you're going like that. That's the that's, that's a war you're going to constantly hit because you're not thinking further ahead specifically in terms of stuff. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, it was a... I'm doing really well holding a sneeze. We'll see how many minutes I go. <laughs> I've currently gone seven. We'll see. It, it's not stopped itching. <laughs> it's not happening. I'll see, I'll see if I can... Maybe addressing it will get rid of it. But uh, there was another thing to mention as well, just in terms of little details about this match. 
Uh, Twitter was going uh, the mo- the number one. Th- you know, a match has grabbed an audience when the audience is on Twitter talking about Randy Orton's pants <laughs> instead of you know getting invested in the match and cheering for what's happening. Uh, yeah, Randy Orton was wearing trousers for quite a fair amount <laughs> of the first portion of the match. Uh, after he attempted a sneaky attack, so Sneaky Orton was dressed in his sneaky black hoodie and he tried to attack Drew on the outside. But the Scott was on alert, alert and that led to a brawl. Uh, the champion seized control. And, and as he shut the cage door with Orton down in the ring, I guess somewhat echoing that rather odd ending to Raw this past week. Uh, but this time we get to see it. Um, yeah, uh, we had that fact that Orton's sneak attack didn't work because he was wearing the black trousers for such a long time. Like As he was getting beaten up all along ringside, ringside he was... And everybody's just like, I can see his ring gear under his trousers. Or his pants, because it's an American audience. I see his ring gear under his pants. That's... He's going to take the pants off. (laughs) Take the pants off, Andy. (laughs) Andy uh, eventually took the pants off. But it wasn't like Tai Chi. It wasn't like uh, my opponent's done. Like Angel Garza. (laughs) Just ripping them off. (laughs) Like, no. No, it wasn't like that. It's I'm Andy Orton, you're down. I'm, I'm going to sit down and slowly take, <laughs> take them off. Uh, can't think of any less flashy. I've not. He'd have to do that anyway. <laughs> that type of thing. He'd have to attack him, sit down, take his trousers off, <laughs> which he did here. So he'd have to do. Yeah, that must have been part of his plan if he thought that far ahead. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, the match was more even after that, but it was quite slow. Yeah, Randy Orton in control. Like, it's throwing Drew McIntyre left and right, completely destroying him, but it was just a bit slow. And they the match built, because it was building to that big moment where they, it builds enough to them then climbing the cell, for, then Drew McIntyre falling off the cell, the Randy Orton stalking him as he's, like, refusing to die, he's crawling down the side of the page. Oh, I could... <laughs> he was scratching my nose on the YouTube feed. <laughs> it's still there. My God. Uh, hopefully my nose just runs and I don't, <laughs> don't sneeze. But yeah, it was it was a slow building match, building to a massive moment, and then it's kind of the aftermath of that massive moment, and that kind of pretty quickly leads to the end. I'd say after a slow crawl all the way along the side of Hell in a Cell, then back into the ring. Eventually, then you had your quick ending of like hitting finishes and uh, then counters and things. But yeah, that's why I'm not entirely sure what to think. It was, for me, my least favourite of the three cell matches of the night. You ended with your slowest one. It had the big spot on them falling off the cell. And I kind of liked how with Drew... I, li- I liked Randy Orton stalking Drew McIntyre back into the ring. And Drew's fight back and then Randy ultimately winning. Because like, I would have liked Drew McIntyre's reign to continue. Uh, it's not particularly a massive reason to definitely take it off him. Unless you've 100% got, got the next beat ready. As in, it, like his reign's been good. But we've got this planned thing we're going to. <laughs> so they're going to shift to that. And now we'll start building to it. If that's the case, then yeah, we'll see it play out on more. Um, if, it's, if it's to keep the feud going, ugh, I'm, <laughs> please no. <laughs> I've seen it enough. Uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of what I think about that match. It, I, it wasn't awful. It was still a good match. It was just so slow for the main event. And I understand why it's the main event, again, in the escalation of offence that you saw throughout the night, like a very story-based, vicious affair to uh, the, I guess, hotly contested, also vicious, I would I use brutal, from vicious to brutal 
to ultimate danger. <laughs> I guess it's how I'd word it. But also it makes Randy Orton's title win feel more important because it was the main event. Because Sasha Banks winning was also big and important, but um, Randy Orton's win... Because Sasha's win against Bailey was another it was another like, really big storyline feud match. And it felt big anyway, just in terms of the shift, just because of Bailey's massive reign. But if Randy Orton had won in that slot, it would have not felt anywhere near as important. As in, Randy Orton needed the main event win more than Sasha did, if that makes any sense. Uh, as in, Sasha Banks winning here or in the main event would have been big either way. It would have been even bigger in the main event, which would have been awesome. But Randy Orton's would have been so significantly lower, I feel, if it was the penultimate Hell in a Cell. Because it, well, it was that slower affair, and you put that in the middle rather than the hot contested for me match of the night. <laughs> then you're capping off Sasha Banks's amazing trilogy. I'm drifting over to that one because that's the one I want to talk about. <laughs> that's the match I like generally did enjoy. But yeah, it was a it was quite a slow main event match. And I'm gonna pray that the opening match was also a slower pace, but I really enjoyed that. Well, this match here had big spots, but don't really care. No, and I'm not exa- exactly jumping for joy at the result, mostly because. I feel it will keep this feud going. And I'm so done with it. I'm, I'm just tuning it out. And the fact that it might, it might still continue. And it, it, like time-wise, it might not have even been going that long. Say if the summer time's in August. That's August, September, November. Uh, sorry, August, September, October, November. <laughs> I know my months. Uh, damn it, coronavirus. <laughs> All over the place. But yeah, so it's been going three months now. And for WWE, that's not, it's not rare for them to hit another... Or at least the next pay-per-view and definitely end it there. But it's just because it's because of payback, really. It's because that added one extra match to the schedule, and that's what's kind of made it too much for me. Because um, like the beats I'm talking about from like pay-per-views and defenses and things, if you don't have payback, you don't have that immediate pay-per-view one week after SummerSlam. Then you've had one less defense, and it just feels I'd probably be at the point that we're at now at the next pay-per-view. Just because you haven't had that additional one, that additional match, which really helps. And in WWE style, you don't normally, you don't often see those, these people interact with other people on the show that aren't involved in their feud. And that really hurts it, personally. It means you're seeing them together so often <laughs> that there's a high likelihood you get burned out on it. Just because there's no variety within there. I mean, there's a variety of ideas every single week. They come up with random stuff. Like he's tacking legends. <laughs> That's the thing. But every week it's Randy Orton does something. Drew McIntyre comes out angry. Drew McIntyre says a taunty thing. Randy Orton comes out angry. It's um, yeah. It gets to a point where you're having to up yourselves every single time for why is this feud continuing? And I guess yeah, I'm going around in circles a bit. <laughs> so yeah, it's case in point. Big spots that are relatively enjoyable. Don't really mind the story they told, but as a main event, it was slow and it was. Uh, but it does make Randy Orton's win feel important, and you do technically elevate the offense with every match that came. So yeah. Anyway, let's go from ultimate danger down to brutal. My God, Bailey versus Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks completing her Hell in a Cell trilogy against the Four Horsewomen. Her first match against Charlotte was like a massive moment because it was a main event match, one of the first with the women main eventing and there's such an aura around the match. Uh, and her match from last year against Becky Lynch 
Uh, a match which sometimes it gets a little bit overlooked purely because The Fiend versus Seth Rollins just, when I say stole the show, it stole all of the attention with, with how horrifically bad it was and like an all-time low bad. And uh, But Becky Lynch with Sasha Banks was amazing. Highly recommend you go back and watch it. And then, now here she caps off the trilogy against Bailey. And again, it's amazing. <laughs> it's a really good match. Like, such a fantastic... Like, for me, in terms of, like, trilogies of matches you have to see, yeah, Sasha Banks' three matches against the Horsewomen in the Hell in a Cell. Yeah, that's a hell of a trilogy. <laughs> Go watch them. Uh, and this one capped it off. So creative. Creativity off the charts. And it was... the th- Again, all three of Sasha Banks' Hell in a Cell matches have been so damn creative, and this was no different. Bringing the brutality with it as well. Like, really using the Hell in a Cell structure for the match... Like, um, I really enjoyed Roman Reigns' Jey Uso. But if there's one complaint, did it have to take place inside Hell in a Cell? The te- really, no. Not really. There weren't any spots that couldn't have happened just in a standard match. Because they were brought... Oh, aside from them, like, brawling around ringside, throwing him into the cage you know, with Jey Uso at the start. Now, you got that fire from Jey Uso because you got to see that. But, like, all of the biggest spots of the... Like, the core of the match, it's just an I quick match. Like a really good I Quit match, <laughs> but like it was like an I Quit match first. Quit I Quit match first, and Hell in a Cell second. Hell in a Cell was used so like for a bit at the start, and then it was just straight I Quit. And like, the spots looked brutal. It was a great match, but yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the wrong match. Let's <laughs> be talking about Bailey versus Sasha for the Smackers Women's Championship. Uh, and so I guess, I guess a nice little telling thing of uh, Banks in all white, Bailey uh, New Zealand all black. And a, a little telling thing as well, the cell wasn't down before the match started uh, or before the participant announcement. So I'm just waiting for a spot. And the spot was the setup for the chair, which would arrive later. <laughs> and uh, Sasha Banks drop kicked the chair, sending the, that customized chair flying out. And my immediate response of, oh, well, you'll just have to use... Another chair? Because <laughs> there's a plethora of chairs under the ring. And like, within such a short amount of time, they're going under the ring searching for weapons and lo and behold, there's like a pile of chairs. <laughs> Just pick a chair. She uses two chairs to put the ladder on later. So yeah. And it was like, both of them were like scavenging for weapons throughout this match. And Sasha Banks, and ba- both of them had the creativity. I think it was Sasha who wedged kendo sticks between the steel cage, between the cage. It's a cell, isn't it? I'm using the wrong term. Between the cell and the steps to make a little, I guess a little, I was going to say table type thing for them to crash into. But that was used to play up a spot where Bailey tripped onto them after a bit of a counter sequence. Trips Banks onto those sticks and she was gripping her neck in pain. Just playing that up later uh, from, in terms of the attack. And the phrase I've written down so much for so many spots in this is brutal. In italics, <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> I would say it like Bailey on top until a brutal-looking sunset flip into a power bomb off the apron, sending the champion into the red steel and uh, Banks as well. It was Banks' turn for a brutal <laughs> bump after Bailey was the one flipping Sasha back with a power bomb. This time, sending her foe crashing into a chair wedged in the corner. That's, yeah, it was. There was more than that. Everything looked brutal. Like even when uh, Bailey just, um, I can't remember, it was after after Sasha Banks had gone for a frog splash, 
and Bailey had found her trusty chair because she got the chair back. <laughs> she had her trusty chair on her chest, so she had to crashing onto that and is in pain. Then at ringside, Bailey just smashed her former friend's face just into the ringside mat. <laughs> I was just like, bloody hell. <laughs> everything looks so brutal in this match. Uh, yeah, Banks giving everything to it. As well where Sasha Banks was meant to do like a, oh, is she knocked out kind of spot where she hits the ring, uh, the ring apron or the, I guess, steel ring of the ring apron as they were selling it on commentary. And uh, that's meant to like leave her just draped there as Bailey just whips her kendo sticks. Like, there were so many awesome creative spots. Oh, another one where uh, Tasha Banks pulls out a table, Bailey attacks her, Bailey goes round to pick up the table from one of the ends, and Sasha Banks ran up the table, delivered a meteora, driving Bailey's head into the steel cage, uh, into the steel structure with the meteora. That was awesome. <laughs> she hit so many meteoras, and possibly the best was. Like, right at the end, after they're doing their little offence around the ladder, and Banks fights back in. After Bailey tried to dive onto uh, the ladder-prone Banks, uh, Banks then charged him with the Meteora. It just hit with so much force. Again, it was brutal. <laughs> to be fair, though, that wasn't the brutal bit in the sequence, because right after she hit her, Bailey Bailey just kind of launching <laughs> Bailey round onto the ladder. It's like, oh, again, that looked brutal. <laughs> it just... There's so much behind this offence. And, like, the number of times I've written brutal, the number of times I've written, oof, <laughs> just ouch. Just both of them. It wasn't, because quite often we, like, we credit, when in these matches we'll be crediting Sasha for just throwing it all to the wind. And in this occasion, like, yeah, it was both of them just gave that all in this match. It was such a great, such a great affair. Really went at it. And, yeah, it was... Fantastic. <laughs> really, really top-notch top match. And easily my match of the night as well, just because of the creati creativity just evolved and grew and grew. And it felt like the perfect third match in that Sasha Banks Hell in the Cell trilogy. Really, really good. And there's only one word to describe the ending, where Sasha Banks brutally stomped on the legs of the chair as uh, Bailey had gone for a contrived wrap the steel chair round onto Sasha Banks's back to hit a belly to belly, and it was just too contrived. Sasha Banks reverses and right into the bank statement with said chair wrapped around Bailey's neck, and Banks starts brutally stomping on the legs of the chair, and Bailey just taps right the f out. He's <laughs> just like, my god! <laughs> so I'm just sat there like, what a match! <laughs> what a match that was! Absolutely loved it. Uh, my my. I guess my only complaint in the Sasha Banks Bailey feud is the word rushed. That is how I would describe it. The feud was just a bit. You've got. It's the issue of the WWE gimmick structure where this is when you do Hell in a Cell, therefore that's when you have your match. Even though it's a kind of massive blow off angle kind of thing where this is the first match. And so it means Sasha Banks can't sell her injury. It's, it's one thing I've got where the heel would do a vicious attack. And yeah, I guess one part of the vicious attack is to take out the baby face. Like, your hero is gone. But you never feel it because they're back in a week or two. Because they've got to set up the pay-per-view feud. So it's always more of a... The vicious attack was more to sell the baddie turning. Which always happens. It's a moment and the baddie's and the person's now a baddie. Or they're, they're against each other. Is, uh, you've got your new kind of setup for it. That, and that was a moment creating that. 
but <laughs> there's never any consequence to it. Like they'll do the massive angle, the massive injury thing where you would think Sasha Banks would be out for quite a while with a serious injury. But no, Bailey does her big attack and Banks is back in a week or two. You don't feel the loss. There's no consequence to Bailey's actions in terms of Bailey does vicious attack, Banks is out for like a week, and then she's back again. It's not quite. It doesn't have the same oomph <laughs> if she's like properly out for a bit. You like as in you feel the loss of that person not being there because of the vicious attack. Then she comes back. It, it, yeah, it's because this is when Helen Cell was. So they go to then. It's it's a WWE criticism for me where they don't let things build and bubble just because you got the pay-per-view around the corner. Yeah, and it means they're going to be less invested in your match when it happens. And I can say the match was really, really good. It was the same criticism. Amazing match. I'm just not a massive fan of the creative. When I say massive fan of the creative, like the beats they've been doing are fine. It's just they've done it so quickly that I've not been able to kind of get into it. Just You've not soaked me in. You've not, oh, what you do to the cake when you've glossed it. That's not the word. <laughs> you've not glossed the cake. <laughs> Still not the right word. But... Yeah, fantastic match. Easily my match of the night. But I was more comparing it to like the build of Sasha Banks from her match with Charlotte Flair, her match with Becky Lynch, now her match with Bailey. That was more how I was looking at it rather than always oh, big, hot, contested feud between, between Banks and Bailey. Uh, both characters are amazing. I just would have liked to, be, get, to get into the feud a bit more for Bailey to like properly have her... Because if she attacks Sasha Banks, so Sasha can't attack her, so Bailey can be on top. I just want at least just a, a month or two with Bailey on top. As in, she did it for a reason. Can I not see that reason in play? <laughs> just have Bailey be that champion without. And then, then Banks comes back. But again, you have to do the attack earlier. And that means like building way in advance. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a personal criticism. I'm, I'm, from what I've seen, as I stutter all over the place, most people are fine with it. It's just like a personal thing. Uh, I don't like it when they rush storylines and it's because they do it all the time. And now, I'm, I guess the other difference is now, like for the first time, there's actually, for me, there's actually a direct comparison, a direct competitor for me who is telling their story slower, like much slower, to a point where you see some people criticising not telling a story. And with AEW, like, they, they are. <laughs> they just tell it in such a different way, at such a slower pace, that, oh, the sneeze is <laughs> back. Oh, I've held it in. Oh, it returned after 20 minutes. <laughs> it's still there. Uh, that's what I get with the... No. <laughs> oh, the drama. The drama of Manchester holding a sneeze. Oh, my word. It's not going away. Yeah, I think that's the best way to transition. <laughs> to transition to the Hell in a Cell I Quit match. Because I show heart and determination to not sneeze. <laughs> the Universal Championship. Roman Reigns is a Jey Uso. I quit inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, was it over gimmicks? Personally, no. Just because the match was so story-based that it worked for it. Uh, again, if anything, it was such so strongly an I quit match that it didn't necessarily need to be in Hell in a Cell, but it did give a visual aura to it. So there's that. And WWE started hell off big with this one. Like, and for me, the Roman Reigns arc has been a masterclass of a story of like establishing a top heel character with such a genuine feeling of dominance. And... Like, I wouldn't say this is the most unique, clever writing you'll ever see on television. 
When I've said WWE don't really present characters, they don't really write them that well in the past. What you're seeing in Roman Reigns? This is exactly what I mean. Because this isn't... It's technically... It's, a, it's, it's, it's not a super unique story, in, in a way. It's essentially the boss, the mafia boss, in a way, asserting... Or he's fa- of the family, because that's like, mafia is like family. Of like the head of the... The man trying to assert his power as the head of the family. It's a story you, you can see in so many countless TV shows, for example. But, because I've said in the past, WWE don't really know how to do, like, actual characters. That when you see one, it feels so many light years ahead. And that this is my example. Like, Roman Reigns is... He feels like an actual character with actually some depth to him. And he stands out so much for a reason. And the what I've said before, they don't really know how to write characters or stories, really. When they do write, when they do have one, again, it stands up so highly <laughs> above everything else. It's like, yeah, this is this is what I've been saying the entire time. <laughs> they actually they do present something in that way, and it feels so much better because I think when well, criticism has been that yeah, it's not always bad, but it could be so much better. It's like, oh, you're just being grumpy. It's like, this this is my this is what I mean. <laughs> when it when it is when it can be better and it is better, you. Can finally you can see what I've been trying to say, <laughs> um, or like television has you see better stories told so many different places, and for me this is finally one on par with a story. Again, it's not mind blowing. It's not the craziest thing in the world. It's not oh my god, this is absolutely an incredible story that I will never see anywhere else. But it's been told really well, or at least at least well. It's been told well. The character arc is strong. He's got depth to it. The matches themselves, the way that they play out, it really they, the matches are used to further the character, to establish the character of or the, the whole family at the moment as well. Like yeah, that's what good TV shows do, <laughs> and that's kind of what my th- thing has been the entire time. WWE have been pretty bad at establishing characters and having arcs and building, whilst this finally feels like they're doing that, and it doesn't even have to be incredibly. It doesn't have to be incredible. I think that's a better way to put it. It just has to be done competently, and that's what this is. And it will feel light years ahead because of the rest of the show is on a lower par in a way. Uh, yeah, it feels it feels like a lot of its era. To be fair, and when I say of its era, a lot of WWE's tropes were born in the Attitude Era. They've not shaken them off, or they kind of like during the Ruthless Aggression Era kind of become like staples, and they've really just not shifted from them. Uh, but television has changed. And with the TV shows, there's a lot of shows with... I was going to say they're slower with a lot of depth rather than comic book quick, quick, quick. There are still the shows that exist, like, of the opposite of what I was just talking about. But I guess the slower pace, the the kind of more... The the more thought-out single story is a lot more common rather than the quick comic book week-to-week stuff. Uh, Still does exist, but... I'm going on a massive tangent. My point is the TV landscape has shifted, but WWE style of production is still in the early noughties. And uh, for me, the Roman Reigns thing feels like a like finally like a shift to a more modern day way of storytelling. It's the way that we see more often in other places and other mediums. Therefore, it's a bit more representative of the modern day. And if Roman Reigns is as heavy and creative as, as the word is, then that might be a massive part for it. 
as in him saying, I'm only coming back under these conditions and the story is fantastic. So whatever they're doing with it, <laughs> just all massive thumbs up. Anyway, so this was for the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns of Jey Uso. And like it was a unique match, like all about the cementing of Roman Reigns. Like after Reigns was unable to make Jay call him the Tribal Chief last month at Clash of Champions, like this time, would he be able to make his cousin submit? And the answer was not really, no. Like uh, Reigns asserted control in the early going, but Jay was was Jay's fire was full of fuel, like burning all over ringside, uh, driving Roman into the cage walls over and over. Uh, and as I said, that was there in the initial stages. Then it went into a full like I quit match. Uh, back inside the ring, Jay was calling the, the ooh, so go for the corner hip attack. Only, I felt, uh, yeah, <laughs> I felt my Britishness, just <laughs> polite Britishness, like, ooh, so, ooh, so crazy. <laughs> he goes for the hip attack, only to be speared right in the middle of the ring, which was followed by an awesome speech from Roman. And this was my, my favourite part of, oh my word, my moustache hair curled upwards into my nose. <laughs> but yeah. They're the, again, a very British reaction there. <laughs> um, but yes, Roman was talking trash to Jay the entire match. And it added so much, it made me realise that this is less a def like wrestling match and more of it on television we're seeing a character being built. And uh, this was another character piece, just like the last pay-per-view was. And again, on my WWE television, I'm all for variety. I got my awesome match of the night contender in Bailey versus Sasha Banks later. I got my strong, just solid character piece here at the start. Uh, just telling Jay, I didn't think just one spear would do it, but in about 10 minutes, you'll wish it would have. Like, don't make me the villain, just give up type of thing. And yeah. <laughs> and even when, like, Jay Uso fought back and he was uh, with, like, just. Not uh, no hesitation at all, jumping with like two high flying splashes. Roman Reigns was down. Like when asked if he quits, Roman Reigns is like the head of the table never quits. Uh, Jay Uso got a strap and started whipping Roman Reigns' back. And after the spear flew in once again, and, uh, <laughs> Roman Reigns got the strap tied wrist to wrist. He's like, I'm the one that does the whipping, whipping around here, and just goes crazy on Jay Uso. And yeah, and. I really like that. Jey Uso was fighting back until Roman Reigns did something. Like, he was escalating the amount of viciousness he was hitting his moves with before he went to the guillotines and the drive-by dropkicks. Uh, the guillotine put over with him choking out Braun Strowman on SmackDown. Here, it's like, oh my god, he choked out a massive dude in Braun Strowman with that guillotine, but that doesn't matter here. He's got to get Jay to say, I quit, and he's not going to do it. It's an outright refusal. I really liked at the start how they'd Essentially, with Roman Reigns saying the head of the table like never gives up, it's like you've got he's going to be like <laughs> just as unmoving, unmoving as Jey Uso is going to be, and like what is it going to take in the end? And it would get a get a team to try and joke out Jay. After that doesn't happen, he's just like shaking his head, just like come on, please just stop. I don't want to do this next thing, but you're making me do it. As like oh, as a character, I love that. Uh, the first drive-by dropkick was hit, and it was like, oh, is this the first drive-by dropkick of Roman where it generally adds so much to a story of a Reigns match? Beforehand, it just felt like one of the moves he does, and it's now time for the what that move. It's his signature move. He's doing the signature drive-by dropkick. And I feel like the like the best oomph it got from him has been like in multi-man matches. 
where suddenly he does that big, like in Shield matches especially, where he just run in with that diving drop kick and he got such a reaction because of the momentum of the match. But in solo matches, it would sometimes just feel like one of his moves in a way. But yeah, this led so directly into the story. And after hitting that, he gave like one final plead, like before wedging the steel steps under the bottom rope and Jay's head between them and the ring post. And Reigns told him that before he did it, it's like, you'll be all right. This is a little, such a subtle thing that I didn't see anyone mention it on Twitter. I assumed a lot of people just missed it because he just placed the steel steps there, looked at Jay, then went. But when he looked at him, he said, you'll be all right. And then went. <laughs> it's like, oh, another awesome character moment. He's he still loves his family. He's just you, by not acknowledging me as the tribal chief, you are making me do this, and that is a very again. It's a you see it. I say you see it in the mob films, but it, the mafia like the head honcho mentality. Hello in the chat. Uh, the head honcho kind of mentality. Go for that, and yeah, uh, that was an amazing drive by. Just viciously driving the steel steps right into uh, Jay Uso's face, sending his head crashing into the ring post, and he's unresponsive. And the ref finally goes to call it. A, a great thing where the ref looks at Roman and just says something as he goes to check on Jay, and Roman's just like, why are you looking at me? <laughs> like He's the one making me do this. Get him to quit. Why are you looking at me? It's not my fault. So many great <laughs> character moments. Uh, again, for me, it's every little layer because this entire match is a kind of continuation of the character establishing thing, and it's this a continuation of that. So the way it kind of just builds and builds, and I saw this entire thing as building that. And uh, checking the chat, I'll get to Tucker and Otis in a second. Just first off with the final Hell in Cell match, yeah, just the way that it built, <laughs> and the and the referee with an amazing bump, <laughs> just flying over the top rope. And did like a spin as well. So just kudos to that ref. Absolutely cleared that top rope. It looked, it looked amazing. Um, officials flocked in. After doing that, the, ref, the commentators turned super serious. And the WWE Twitter account turned super serious with the, oh my God, faces. And that's one of, a pet peeve of a company or conglomerate tweeting as if they're a person reacting to their own product. Uh, pet peeve. <laughs> I find that really like, oh, it's... Oh, that makes me grimace a bit. But the officials then flocked the ring, uh, completely fail, and Roman Reigns regains control of the ring. Uh, Reigns, uh, there's a botchamania of Roman Reigns struggling to get the steel steps into the ring, but skip over that. <laughs> he, with the steel steps finally in the ring, he goes to slam them right into Jay's face when Jimmy Uso, with the cage door open because the official's running in, he runs in and climbs on top of his brother to save the day. One last plead with his family to stop this. Like, whatever you're just telling him, like, whatever you're going through, Roman, like, I can, I can help, we can help, we can help you get through this. And Roman Reigns broke down into tears. And as soon as he did that, I was like, if this is going where I think it's going, this is brilliant and I love it. As soon as he broke down into tears, it's just like, he's not crying because he's in agreement with Je with Jimmy. And he's like, oh, what have I done? He's crying because he knows what he has to do next. Like the level he has to go to, how deep he has to fall. <laughs> and it's just choking out Jimmy with the guillotine right in front of Jay. And that's what gets Jay to shout, I, I quit, to save his brother. Just, yeah. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I saw him crying, I was like, I hope to God this is the beat. Because this is what I would do or praise a decent story for doing. 
and that's exactly what happened. Just choked him out, and it was it was a fantastic ending, the perfect ending, and the perfect beat afterwards as well. You know, Roman Reigns is on the stage, the ramp with his title lifting it in the air when the elders of the family, of the Noai family, officially present Reigns with his position at the head of the table. Afa and Seeker acknowledging him as a, the tribal chief. I can't speak. <laughs> as the tribal chief. It was a just a perfect cap on the end and then he, posts, he poses at the top of the ramp with Afa and Seeker. So yeah, that was... A perfect note on the end. Because Jimmy and Jay are staring up from the ring as well. As he is now the head of the family. It's like, yes. I really, really enjoyed this match. Fantastic character piece. <laughs> Built it up really, really well. Uh, yeah, All three headers and match sale matches were really good. And it's just that the final one, the main event, which is a bit slow for me. And I'm not super, I'm not super amped about what this means going next. But with the other two... Yes, really enjoyed them. Not really any cons coming out of them. Yeah, <laughs> a huge round of applause. Uh, but you know, I'll now quickly bash through the three matches that were not the Hell in the Cell matches. Uh, so, first off, as it was requested, uh, what do I think of Tucker turning on Otis? So, this was in the uh, in uh, singles match between The Miz and Otis with Morrison and Tucker uh, retrospectively in their uh, partner's corners. Otis's Money in the Bank contract was on the line. Uh, Otis had his new theme now that he's solo, so they're building that. Uh, but he's still a comedy character, essentially. And at least Miz is calling him out on it. And this heel turn maybe chips away at that as well. I mean, they're on different brands, so you have to break the brand split thing immediately to get them together. <laughs> just, just a little thing of, you know, not thinking ahead. <laughs> as in maybe when they did the brand split they didn't know they were going to do this and now they're in a bit of a pickle mm. and uh, Miz and Morrison in the match tried to use their antics but Otis was too wily uh, wily enough to take advantage uh, when Morrison was sent out for attempting to run in at the big man with the money in the bank briefcase and hit him on the head Otis rolled up Miz but the Hollywood lad survived uh, Miz was with a simple evade with Otis going towards the falling towards the ropes after, and Tucky then strikes him with the Money in the Bank briefcase. Otis, Otis is clobbered, and the Miz steals the win. A new Money in the Bank briefcase holder, uh, yeah, like for me, totally the right call. Gives Otis some character mountain to climb in the form of his former tag team partner. Uh, in terms of like character wise, he's got to get over this mental hurdle. But also, Tucker's quite tall, <laughs> so he's got to, he's a genuine mountain of a character. <laughs> and uh, Miz, once again, has the contract, so no complaints about that. He is a guy who, yes, he may be currently solidly mid-card in his act with Morrison, but he is one of those modern-day guys, uh, you see it in every generation, where there's a guy who can jump from mid-card to main event with a click of a finger. And he just as he was feeling, like, really just fleshing out the mid-card with a decent act, he can just... Click his fingers and be trustworthy main event guy who feels like he belongs at the top. Just just like that. But the main event has been so solid that <laughs> it's really weird to see him doing anything other than just getting destroyed. Uh, unless we see another Money in the Bank switch or something. Yeah, but we got our explanation after the ad break, which I guess is worth 
more criticism uh, after all analysis. I won't say criticism because I'm not down on it. Uh, after the quick ad break, we got a backstage interview. Miz and Morrison were raving about their success and about how the Miz is a top guy and he's been working all this time and he's he's awesome and everything. Where when Tucker comes in, why did he do it? Asks Scalar, uh, and he just said, he pretty much just says like he gets none of the recognition after all the work put in. Like Otis gets all of the applause. And he's the one kind of forced to make Otis look like the Star Wars. He gets nothing. He gets no character. <laughs> and he just has to put up with all of that. And finally he has enough. And Otis can't forge him without him. He can't tie his own shoelaces. Uh, and Tucker's just like, well, let's see. And that's when the lad came charging in. And we got ourselves a wee ball. Uh, and out they go. And that's in that. I think he charges off Tucker. So it's the heel who did the dastardly evil thing. But when the fight actually arrives, he just charges off a bit. Until it's an officiating match, and he can't. <laughs> That's normally how these things go. Uh, in the comments, do I think Otis will ever win the title? Ever's quite a long period of time. <laughs> and if you mean this, I guess, next calendar year, just to, you know, limit it down a bit. No. Because this is... When he got given the Money in the Bank briefcase, this was... It was immediately just a massive thing of... Well, he's a comedy character. Yes, he might be high on him, but it's going to take a bit of work to build him up. Then over the but I was I was in on it on the idea of well if they take time to build him up, then maybe that'll be fine. By the time he catches it in, maybe he'll feel like a bigger deal. But they've not done any of that. He's just kind of stayed where he is, as in comedy mid card. So and I've genuinely at times forgotten he had the briefcase. <laughs> it does it doesn't help that on busy weeks SmackDown's been the show that I've dropped. So this past month with uh, the G1 climax, I'll be covering that in column form for wrestling headlines. The last column went up last week. I, yeah, I missed a fair bit of SmackDown. <laughs> I just kept forgetting that he's uh, the Monday Bank briefcase holder. Uh, I guess no super. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's more, it might be more on me. I was going to say no super slight on them because that might be more on me. But he doesn't feel like a top guy. He's felt like a mid card guy because of the way he's been presented. Uh, this feud might be them realizing it. It's like actually. Let's give him a character hurdle to actually climb up. Because <laughs> to get him out of this mid-card kind of area and promote him up a bit to see to get him over those hurdles. And I feel like a feud with Tucker could be the right thing. Like, quite often when there's a tag team split, you're like, oh, really? <laughs> like, we've seen it with the women on One Night Raw, where they split up teams for, like, no apparent reason. I need to put them back together again with different partners. <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> like, clearly no plan. But with the Otis Tucker thing, I feel like in terms of a character, Otis needs to grow. And this is the absolute best way for, like the easiest that's right there in front of them way to do that. It's given him an absolutely massive hurdle. He can't lean on anybody else. He's lost Mandy, drafted to Raw. He's lost his tattoo partner in Tucker. Now he's lost the Money in the Bank briefcase. He was on top of the world. Now he's lost everything. Now we watch him climb. So right now, he's solidly mid-card. <laughs> so I don't know like his character now no maybe mid card title uh, may maybe but if this Tucker feud goes alright and they use it with The Miz especially with The Miz and keep that kind of going and build him up I can't remember was he drafted to Raw I think Tucker went to Raw so I don't think he's even on Raw I think Otis it was Otis the one on Smackdown Again, just an ultimate realisation. Oh yeah, they're on different brands. <laughs> so, 
either you break your universe rules immediately of, oh, the brand split matter when we jaff them to it. Yeah, shit, we've hit <laughs> the storyline. I've just sworn monetization down. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, oh, no, we've, oh, we've jaffed them to the wrong thing. We're going to have to switch them over. Just to say it's a, a, a trade for one down the line or something. That's what they normally do. Uh, yeah, it's just, or he shows up just because, oh, no, oh does the brand split matter then? <laughs> either way. I feel like Otis needed a some climbing to do, and this is giving him a hell of a mountain to climb. Again, losing the girl, losing the tag team tie, losing the tag team partner, losing the money in the bank briefcase. That is a lot to climb, and hopefully, as a character, he grows. <laughs> hopefully, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's boring as in one year. No, maybe in two after he's done his climb. Maybe uh, the issue is staying the the issue is the kind of comedy area he's been in he's not grown and my my answer was if he grows but he hasn't grown <laughs> so yeah it's different with Big E for example because Big E does a, such a good job as making that part of him compared to Otis where his entire act feels like mid-card Big E's like no I can do silly but I, he can, but I can turn it on and for me I wouldn't get rid of the silly too much yeah, Booker T says that, but he's a man of his era. <laughs> really, what I'd do with Big E is have him be him. Because him is so infectious, is what's gotten crowds behind him. And to strip that away to make him super serious, compared to let him be him, then when the bell rings, have him, he can be as serious as he wants. Like, yeah, I'm all down for that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, with Otis, just give him, he doesn't even have to become super serious. Or like, as in like totally serious. He just has to grow as a character. And because he hadn't done any of that, <laughs> this is the Money Back briefcase. Since he won everything, he's not grown at all. Finally he gets to do that. Anyway, the other two matches to uh, wind this off, wind this off, round this off. Uh, Elias faced Jeff Hardy after the awesome Reigns vs. Uso match. And I, among with most of Twitter seemingly... Uh, continuing to rave about that opener, like just struggling to acknowledge the match. <laughs> so Elijah Jeff Hardy was on. I clocked in. There was plenty of punch, kick, and uh, ringside barricade action. Uh, Favorite part was when Hardy went to get a clap going in an empty arena, just doing the huh, huh, huh. And WWE sound mixing is so good, it took me ages to realize the clapping sound file was indeed playing. <laughs> just, it was like a. Like, ten seconds later, I was like, oh, it was playing the entire time. I just couldn't hear it amongst the mixing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was my thing. Not a fan of the... I'm with uh, Jey Uso, who... It was an interview went up on Wrestling Headlines today. Uh, Jey Uso talking about how he just doesn't really like the piped in audio. I've, I've said the same when WWE started doing it. It's it's a mix. With live sports, can't stand it. With With the football or soccer that I watch here... I have, normally given two options of with the crowd noise or without it. I always pick without it. But in WWE, it's so overproduced as it is, and you see this with some like game shows on TV. There, it's so overproduced as it is that you don't even need a crowd there anymore. And this kind of teaches you that, like with WWE, it's like this is like watching old SmackDown to the crowd noises. It's so overproduced, and so much of the actual crowd just isn't there. Where they're just a visible thing, that yeah, you don't even need them. It doesn't produce your show. It doesn't feel any different because you're piping in the noise anyway, and that's kind of where we are now. Like some of the mixing is bad, 
when for me it's at its worst when it's used to be reactionary like when you're meant to have a go ooh at a spot because he, it just doesn't more times than not it sticks out just when the ooh just wasn't at the right time or when they I think they had in this one where it was Elias doing his wee song and doing the walk with Elias thing and the pressing of the button isn't in sync <laughs> with Elias saying it whilst a live audience you know would be in sync because they're not pressing the button they're following him uh, it's just little things like that reactionary buttons same with sports that's my biggest thing I'm fine with it as like background atmosphere noise but when you're trying to react to a thing's happening on the pitch it always sounds crap because <laughs> you cannot possibly react in time with it and the audio file play in time it's always just out and it just feels not right uh Anyway, uh, thankfully they quickly went to a relatively quick DQ end. Uh, Hardy nailed the whisper in the wind before Elias rolled to the ring apron. Uh, Jeff attempted to follow up with a swanton onto said apron, but Elias rolled to the outside, uh, quickly grabbed his guitar, but Hardy was right there to kick him in the stomach and with no hesitation, crashed that guitar right over his back. And Elias' new song plays as he's flat on the ground and Jeff stomps out the remains of the guitar. Quite like that idea, aside from the camera zooming in and out for every single stomp. <laughs> it's, don't need to do that. It's a WWE thing they've done for years. It's a production trope that snuck in this decade. And it's hilariously bad. <laughs> I can't what I uh, Luckily for me, I'm looking down at my notes and writing. So I'm not just concentrating on that. But yeah, not a technique I like. Not at all. And I feel like there's no better match to end this show on. Just to end the interview on. No bigger match <laughs> to end it on than Bobby Lashley versus Slapjack. Oh, <laughs> what a big match this is. Uh, so, teased on the pre-show, or the kickoff uh, that uh, somebody on the Hurt Business would face somebody of retribution. And I think Hurt Business got to decide both, was the idea. So, and as I didn't watch the kickoff, this was the first I was hearing about it. <laughs> Just straight in there. Yeah, by the way... There's this extra match now between these two Hell in a Cell matches. Alright, and <laughs> I guess it's me to... It's the it's the thing that happens with uh, Wrestle Kingdom quite often, where if you watch uh, New Japan Wrestle Kingdom, they'll have their absolute... Their final like three, four matches are all absolute bangers. Amazing matches. Which means, back to back, how do you stop your crowd from getting tired? Well, the answer is, you make the start of the matches a bit slower, so they can ca calm down to then be built back up again. My assumption is this is that. <laughs> Bobby Lashley versus Slapjack is your... It, it, it feels like padding filler, but really it's your come down match. It's your... After your the really hot Bailey versus Sasha Banks match, you then calm down a bit with Bobby Lashley Slapjack. <laughs> Bobby... Oh, but did I just call him Bobby Splashley? <laughs> I didn't mean to do that if I did. Oh, Bobby Splashley... Bobby Splashley Slapback. <laughs> Bob, Bobby Splashley Slapback. Slap yeah, if I'm calling this match. But yeah, you do... Yeah, this is your calming down. This is your opening of a New Japan match. <laughs> a New Japan match getting a match where you need to calm them down a bit before you build them back up. And yeah. So Big Bobby Lee versus the one in the silly mask. A yeah, a padding of filler between our two final head in the cell matches just to calm you down. Uh, Slapjack entering down the ramp felt a tad against the anti-WWE anarchy character. <laughs> just a bit. Just a bit against it. Um, like, with their full graphics, music, theme made for them and everything. 
and on the on the entrance, it's got their like unique uh, name card. That's what I'm looking for. It's got their unique name card that comes up, and you're like, yeah, just yeah. The whole production team is thoroughly behind these anti WWE anarchy characters. <laughs> yeah, it's again it. Don't don't think about it. But in terms of retribution, it doesn't really get any better. Uh, like Elias was hardly before it. Like I hardly took anything in from this match because it was the in between the ones that we're really there for. A full-on calm down, just waiting for the main event as Bobby tosses and launches around a poor Australian. Uh, eventually locking in the Hurt Lock, and that's now two for two tap-outs for Retribution against Lashers in one week. The <laughs> uh, rest of Retribution immediately attack. Ali calls for T-Bar and Mace to put out Lashley's lights. Eventually the rest of the Hurt business made their save. Uh, Retribution not exactly having any run of success in terms of like in-ring or booking <laughs> or anything. Uh, I massively applauded Mustafa Ali's speech on Monday Night Raw. He got so much behind his character and motivation and he delivered it so well that I was like, the booking at the start of the show? Uh, but this promo here, fantastic. Yes, you've given, you've given me... There's a chance I could get into this because of that promo. But then you go back to the ring again this tonight, and it's crap again. <laughs> he just he send out Slapjack, and he obviously gets destroyed by Lashley. Your group has lost. It's had two. You've had three matches. One ended in DQ, and two were losses. <laughs> That's not good. That's an awful debut uh, run. Like, why would anyone be scared of you? You don't win. <laughs> Ultimately useless. Uh, if it, again, it feels like it's building up to a Survivor Series match, Hurt Business versus Retribution, and they'll be on commentary at least, hyping it up as this massive deal. But Retribution, it wouldn't hurt if they won one <laughs> on the road. Uh, again, give me a Yim something to do, that would be nice. Uh, now we're seeing uh, people coming up with, well, who will be the Hurt Business's female member? Purely because Mia Yim's doing nothing. <laughs> She's there. But there's no female member of any group for her to face. So she's just there before... Like, I'm like Raw, they all came out, did their thing. Then the moment the match started, Mia Yim just didn't exist. She just disappeared. <laughs> Gone. Poof. <laughs> no Mia Yim. Or whatever her name is. Is it Reckoning? One of them went. It was Reckoning and whatever Mercedes Martinez was called. But they dropped Mercedes Martinez. Now it's just Mia Yim. Just showing how strongly they definitely have this entire thing planned out. Like, yeah, now it's just Mia Yim. And I think it's reckoning. But yeah. yeah Retribution is just on every front. It's just a complete booking creative failure. <laughs> and the rest of the... The, only, the thing that saves it, in a way, is the wrestlers involved are all really good. Uh, and with all kind of unique looks to them as well. Which really, really might help them long-term actually get over. But short-term, in these opening months, every single mistake in the book has been made in terms of trying to get an act over. Every single one. And now it's your, oh, on your pay-per-view debut in like a match, singles match with a group. Just have them lose, yeah. <laughs> Send out your weakest member and lose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and of course, when the Hurt Business came down, that means that the attack on Lashley didn't even work out either. And they just kind of back off. Uh, my assumption was they wanted the stare down so that he can build up to Survivor Series. But still, that means Retribution lost twice in one night. <laughs> it's just... Oh, just really putting them over. Just, oh, I was hit my camera. Really, really putting them over. <sighs> that's sarcasm. Anyway, that's the end of the show. Got through it in an hour. It was a toy just shy of three hours. 
Uh, so the main event starting at half two again. I'm still used to that world, like the Heaven of Hell I covered last year. I'm used to that world. Uh, two and a half hours in, I'm like, oh, halfway. Here we go. <laughs> but now it's that's when the main event starts. So much more, so much easier to watch, so much better. I hope after COVID, no matter how long it is, assumably, might even be this time next year, building to Christmas, maybe. Uh, again, I'm not a scientist, but that's maybe what it's looking like. Uh, and for it to be, for us to be like in a position where we're going back to shows and things, personally, keep the three hours. That's the point I'm trying to get to. <laughs> keep the three hours. The show doesn't need to be four, especially with the kickoff. The crowd gets there for the people want to. What people want to get there four hours can, but don't have it at four. And people who want the fifth hour can. That's just a bit much. And but this, the three hours is nice and tight. I'm fine with it. Even if it's two and a half, I'm fine with. With it no longer being on pay-per-view, with me paying uh, 10 bucks a month. I am fine if your pay-per-view is a bit shorter. It doesn't have to be three hours. Uh, the cable network, the, this is how long the thing is, it isn't a thing anymore, really. I mean, aside from the fact that it is on pay-per-view, but uh, if, we're moving, if we're shifting more and more of the focus onto the internet, yeah, I'm fine with it being shorter. Two and a half hours is perfectly fine. A five-card show. NXT take over me. <laughs> I'm fine with that. No complaints. Uh, anyway, that's the end of the show. If anyone wants to uh, hit me up on Twitter at the damn Implicat, they can say so. I'm going the F to bed. Uh, I will be back here on the YouTube thing with a raw review on Tuesday. Uh, also, I think tomorrow. I think tomorrow night I'll be live on Twitch, 6 p.m. UK time to 8 p.m. UK, UK time. Given that I'm up now, you can probably guess it'll be quite a relaxed stream. <laughs> I think I'm just planning to make enemies dance in Ratchet and Clank. So, yeah, super chill. Anyway, uh, yes, that's it. The implications with the next S. if you want to follow me there. Uh, I'll plug it out on Twitter if anyone cares. Uh, I will be back on Tuesday for that. Also, the Hustle got out his column on the Hell in the Cell with his like immediate review because he is Hustle. Bye-bye, uh, Stickman. <laughs> uh, see you next time. And I will be... Uh, will I be tweeting anything live? No. I'll be enjoying UK time. Where I'm, I'm an hour earlier right now, which means I can actually cut off this show with energy. I say energy. It's hot. It's 20 past three. It's still not, you know, <laughs> it's still not ideal, but it's better than half four, half five. <laughs> it's take what you can take. Uh, anyway, I'll be back on Tuesday for the Monday Night Raw review. Uh, thank you for listening. What do you make of Hell in a Cell? Hit me up on Twitter. Comment below. Hit me up and on the Laws of Pain site. Slash, sorry, wrestling headline site. Eventually I'll get the name of the website I'm on. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and with that, I say thank you for watching, thank you for listening, reviewing, five-starring, thumbs-upping, belling, <laughs> the YouTube bell thing, uh, whatever else you do with podcast stuff, because I'm not, I can never remember at half past three in the morning. Uh, with that, I say, bid you adieu, adios. Oh, my voice squeaked, <laughs> like, like, a, like a teenager. Uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> goodbye. See you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I'm going crazy. All right, adios. Ten.